Homemade Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira, and this is a podcast which shines a spotlight on a person who was born on this day at some point in history, somewhere in the world, who made a positive, lasting impact. Today, June 12th, we're going to talk about Eugenie Brazil, the first female three Michelin star chef. I am so excited to talk about Eugenie for a few reasons. One, I love food. I don't cook, but I admire people who can the same way I admire opera singers or tap dancers. I'm not gifted in any of those areas, but I adore those who are. Next, Eugenie was a French chef, and my grandmother was also French, and while not a professional chef, her cooking definitely rivals some of the best meals I've ever had in France. Also, when I was doing my research for this episode, I realized that my knowledge of female chefs is pretty abysmal. I was unable to spontaneously think of any woman who was a chef that never had a TV show. So my knowledge of pre-media female culinary icons is, is dismal. So learning about Eugenie felt really good on a lot of levels. So Eugenie was the first woman to not only obtain three Michelin stars, but she was also the first person to have two three Michelin star restaurants. So she was the first person to have six Michelin stars. She alone held this honor up until 1998, when she was joined by Alain Ducasse, who was given three stars for his eponymous Parisian establishment and his Louis XV restaurant in Monte Carlo. So Eugenie was on the same page with, and indeed reached that page before, the likes of Joe Robuchon and Thomas Keller, but history has pretty much forgotten her, and it's mind-boggling. Like, she got her first set of three stars after only being a chef for 15 years, and that restaurant held them for almost three decades. How does a star that bright get diminished? One answer. A man. No, not like that. It was actually one of her students, a talented misogynist named Paul Bocuse, who, despite learning at the knee of this great six Michelin star woman, made the comment in the 1970s uh, during an interview that he would rather have a woman in his bed than behind the stove in his restaurant. Puke. Barf. Puke and barf right in your hollandaise sauce, Paul. So this comment that Paul made during this interview started this like international apprehensive feeling towards female chefs. Uh, we started to see them, or the society started to see them as being less competent and less rational than male chefs. You don't really have to look much farther than the rating system of the prestigious 50 best restaurants in the world. Even today, the list is, it's a good old boys club, for lack of a better term. In the top 10, in the top 10 restaurants in the world for 2019, only one of them has a female chef, and she's actually part of a husband and wife duo. Um, that restaurant is central in Lima, Peru. And it's not until we hit number 22, almost halfway through the list of the 50 best, that we find a kitchen that is run by a woman by herself. And that is the restaurant Cosme in New York City, run by the world's best female chef of 2019, Daniela Soto Inez. If we continue down that list at number 35, we find San Francisco's Atelier Klen, run by the French Dominique Klen. At number 37, we come across Hisa Franco, which is in Slovenia, and that's run by Anna Ross. And last is Leonor Espinosa's restaurant Leo in Colombia. And that's it. That's it. There are five female chefs and 45 male ones in the top 50 restaurants in the world. And I will let you do what you want to do with that information. 
But this industry-wide practice of treating female chefs as the equal of male chefs that we saw in the earlier half of the 20th century seemed to dry up following Paul's snide aside. And it would be another 50 years after his comment before another woman received three Michelin stars. And that much-delayed honorific fell to Anne-Sophie Pick, chef and owner of Maison Pick in France, um, incidentally, Maison Pic was founded by her dad, Andre Pic, who was a contemporary of our human history today, Eugenie Brazier. But before Pic, before Julia Child, before Alice Waters, there was Eugenie Brazier. So Eugenie was born in a little commune called La Tranclière. Sorry, La Tranclière. La Tranclière. Sorry, French ancestors. Um, that's about 35 miles northeast of Lyon. Her parents had a little farm there, and when Eugenie was young, they relocated to another farm in Sertine, about 10 miles away, and this would be the setting for her childhood. Because she was a child of a farm, she was expected to help out and do her share, and when the weather was accommodating, which was pretty much all year except for the winter, she needed to attend to animals, agriculture, and chores. There was still minimal farm work during the snowy months, but in between those activities, she was allowed to focus on her education. And her parents provided her with a super rudimentary experience in terms of reading and writing and math, but it was not assumed that a girl on a farm would need much more than that. The greatest education that she got from her parents was actually in the kitchen, watching her mom, who was a very gifted home chef, prepare meals. By the time Eugenie was five, she was replicating the savory and sweet tarts that her mother made, and she had perfected barbeton, a potato, bacon, onion, and garlic dish that her mom made. As a child, her mother would actually bring Eugenie meals out. Uh, she would bring Eugenie meals while she was out working. Uh, recalling these moments of beauty in an otherwise arduous and impoverished childhood, Eugenie warmed herself by the heart of nostalgia when she recalled the best meal that she ever had, which was a dish of stale bread covered in egg, leek, and vegetable broth that her mother brought her while she was slopping the pigs. Her idyllic, or theoretically idyllic childhood, I should say, came screeching to a halt when Eugenie was 10 and her mother suddenly died. Her schooling became far more sporadic, and while she was able to read well enough, her writing was still pretty rudimentary and it never got much better, which caused her some anxiety as she got older. Her dad shipped her off as a young teen to go work on another farm, where she was given room and board, as well as one pair of clogs and one dress a year. Farming would take up much of her life throughout these teen years, yet she evidently found some time for other activities, because she gave birth to a son when she was 19. Being an unmarried teen mom was quite scandalous for the time, and her father's reaction was not a welcome one. Some sources say that he actually disowned her. So Eugenie and her son, Gaston, moved to Lyon, where she became a domestic servant for the wealthy Milliat family. They were creators of a small pasta and baking empire. So Eugenie started out as a maid and a nanny, but then when all the women of the family up and left for the French Riviera for the summer, taking Eugenie along with them, she became the de facto chef at their summer villa in Cannes. Eugenie had no recipe books. Her mother had always cooked from known family recipes, and Eugenie could not afford to buy any. So she scraped together what she had learned from watching the chef back at the family mansion in Lyon, and she combined that with what she could learn about local fare from the concierge in Cannes. And things seemed to come pretty naturally to her early on. As she would say much later in an interview, cooking is not complicated. You have to be well-organized to remember things and have a bit of taste. I learned to cook by doing it. It's as simple as that. 
So Eugenie continued to work for the Milliot family up until World War I came to an end in 1918. Apparently, word of Eugenie's cooking prowess had gotten around Lyon because she was approached by Francois Filiou, the owner of the famous Les Bistros Filiou. Um, Francois's kitchen was exceptional, not only in the superior quality of food they were producing, but also the fact that her kitchen was intentionally staffed entirely by women. Francois was known as, were known by the honorific La Mère Filiot. This was a title, the La Mère part. The title was given to uh, female professional chefs, usually self-taught, in France between the 18th and the 20th centuries. Becoming a leading chef in the male-dominated world of French culinary excellence was brutal, and one could not be a wallflower. Francois was not a wallflower. She was tough. She was exacting. She ran her kitchen with military precision. But under her guidance, Eugenie soon mastered some of Le Bistro Filio's most famous dishes. These included, and if you are hungry or dieting, feel free to fast forward a bit here, artichoke hearts stuffed with faux gras, quenelle au gratin, which is basically a savory madeleine made of meat, egg, and breadcrumbs covered in cheese and crayfish butter and broiled until crispy. Oh my God, my mouth's watering. She also mastered the house specialty, which was a dish that I now have to have before I die, called volet truffé demi d'huile, or truffled chicken in half mourning. This dish consists of a bressy chicken. A bressy chicken is a breed of French chicken that's raised by like intense and exacting French standards from a specific region, kind of like the champagne of the poultry world. And this chicken first has, um, you make slits under the skin, and you put like slices of black truffle up under the skin and it's poached in chicken stock and then covered in like a cream enriched sauce made of its own broth. And when it's poached, the white skin of the chicken contrasts with the black spots from the truffle under it. Hence the name of truffle chicken in half mourning, like the culinary equivalent of the widow who's very wealthy and very elderly husband just passed away and she has to put on like a half-hearted show of sincerity at the wake. So Eugenie's experience there at Le Bistro Filo was an invaluable one for her in terms of gaining culinary skills, but she she wasn't compensated well, and there was a ton of jealousy uh, because Francois was basically watching her pupil slowly eclipse her. So when another restaurant called Brasserie du Dragon offered her a better paying job, she jumped at the chance. So she worked at uh, Le Dragon until 1921, when at the age of 26, at only 26 years old, she opened her first restaurant. In the first arrondissement of Lyon, just across the Rhine River from Le Bistro Filio, was a tiny vacant grocery shop at 12 Rue Royale. It took every one of the 12,000 francs she had saved up to get her restaurant La Mer Brasier up and running. Thankfully, she had made a lot of connections in her seven years of cooking, and she had the support of the staff at Dragon, as well as a great working relationship with um, her suppliers, who were willing to float her a bit in the beginning because they trusted her. She also had the backing of her work and life partner, they would never marry, a man named Pierre. He had a day job as a chauffeur, but at night he was at her restaurant, sharpening knives, polishing flatware, cleaning out wine care, sweeping, whatever she needed him to do, he would do it for her. So La Mer Brasier, which still stands today, uh, is a simple space. Um, back then it was tiled in cream, blue, and gray with large bay windows opening out into the street. It wasn't fancy, but it was kept very tidy. The front of the house was uh, fastidiously run by an all-female waitstaff. And Eugenie didn't like sommeliers. She refused to hire one, and she just 
bought her wine from her vendors using her own nose as a judgment. On the opening day of her restaurant, Eugenie served both lunch and dinner, simple dishes like crayfish with mayonnaise and pigeon and peas. This was perfected Lyonnais cuisine with a subtle nod to Eugenie's farming roots. Word of mouth began to spread about La Mer Brasier, and first-timers started to become regulars. The 15-person capacity restaurant became lucrative enough that Eugenie was able to build out and up, adding another dining area, a private salon, and two additional dining spaces on the second story. Francois died in 1925, leaving an empty space beneath the crown of Queen of Lyonnais cuisine, and everyone was in agreement that the woman who was next in line was Eugenie. The issue was that Eugenie was famous in Lyon. Word of her success and her skill hadn't yet crossed city boundaries. But, one fortuitous day, the director of a motor oil company happened to be passing through Lyon, and on the suggestion of the locals, he dined at La Mer Brasier. And he was so blown away by the food that he asked Eugenie to prepare a cold picnic for a car rally that his company was hosting. And her food was, of course, a huge success there. And he asked her to come to Paris once a year to cook the annual dinner for his 200 employees. The dishes that were helping to spread her name across the country were the same ones that she had learned from Francois, including the cannelle au gratin with crayfish butter and the truffle chicken in half mourning, which over the next few years went from being Francois's signature dish to Eugenie's, finally being renamed by the public as Poche à la façon de la brasier, or poached chicken in the brazier style. It wasn't only Francois's chicken dish that Eugenie made her own. She also adopted the militant way that her predecessor ran her kitchen. Eugenie was a formidable woman in all aspects. She had a voice many compared to a foghorn. A sturdy, muscular build with intimidating forearms made brawny by years of pre-mixed stirring, and she was not above coarse kitchen language and threats if needed. Eugenie demanded that every inch of her kitchen be cleaned daily, even shelves holding cans and dry goods. Her chicken suppliers joked that Eugenie wanted her hens to have manicures before she would accept them. She had no problem telling her regulars what they were going to eat that night and taking their leftover food bits home to feed her pigs. The menu that kept people coming back again and again wasn't only recipes that she adopted from uh, Francoise. Her inventiveness, her incorporation of traditional ingredients, and her creativity in reimagining them was extraordinary. A guest sitting down one week might dine on a starter of salmon souffle, followed by a second of lobster with brandy and cream, a main of chicken with Bernays sauce with a homemade dessert of rum babas, uh, which is a cake filled with rum and covered in sweet cream. And the following week, they may come back to an entirely different menu that could start off with artichokes and truffles and then be followed by lobster with mayonnaise and then followed by chicken with morals and cream and then finished up with peaches flambéed with kirsch. The items were simple, but they were decadent. They were rich, but they were elevated. They were comforting and they were creative and customers could not get enough of it. By the end of the 1920s, Eugenie needed a much-deserved break, so she left La Mer Brasier in the hands of her now-grown son, Gaston, and she moved to a wooden chalet about 10 miles away in Col de la Luer. It was a remote spot tucked into the hills, but she was not alone for long, as she was often visited by her former customers who missed both her and her cuisine. And being a chef to the very core of herself, she began to prepare lunches for her visitors, and one thing led to another, and soon her second restaurant, Mère Brasier, called de la Luer, was open. 
It was essentially the rural extension of La Mer Boisire. Food writer Elizabeth David described it as follows. Airy and cool, surrounded by a large garden and much greenery, this was, for a time, my favorite restaurant in all of France. The menu scarcely changed from year to year. With the exception of one dish of fish canals with a rather rich sauce, the food was all comparatively plain. There was no showing off, no fireworks, the calm confidence, the certitude that all here would be as it should be, which one felt upon entering the establishment, was somehow communicated to her customers by Madame Brazier herself, invisible though she was in the kitchen and by her front of the house staff. The restaurant could have been in no country but France. The cooking practiced by Madame Brazier and her brigade was the cooking of the French provinces at its best and also at its most traditional. It was at this restaurant that Paul, Mr. I will sleep with a woman but not cook alongside one, Bocuse, came to work under Eugenie. And while he may have learned under her, he took his career in a very different direction than Eugenie did. Eugenie and most other chefs of their time believed in modesty, humility, hard work, and not showboating. These were considered just tenements of a chef's work and temperament back then. Paul, on the other hand, was much more like the chefs today. He chased the limelight, he rolled around in it like a cat, and he started this wave of cocky chefs who flaunted their skills and luxuriated in the accolades and the celebrity elbow rubbing that came along with it. Was Eugenie's restaurant a favorite of French presidents and Hollywood movie stars? Yes. Was Marlena Dietrich a regular? Yes. Did President Dugal and Prime Minister Edouard Herriot visit whenever they were in town? Of course. Did she run her mouth about it? No. She was a woman too confident in her talent and too happy in her kitchen to bother herself with titles and honorifics. Aside from the Michelin stars, that is. She accepted her two Michelin stars for each restaurant in 1932. That year, two was the highest you could get. And the next year, she got one more star for each, making her the first six-star Michelin chef. It would be another 64 years before another chef achieved that level of greatness. World War II started up and France was occupied. Eugenie continued to operate her restaurants, but she refused to compromise her standards, which put her in the crosshairs of the Nazis quite a lot, as they had instituted very strict rationing practices for French citizens. The Nazis actually threw her in jail for a week for failing to honor their guidelines, and finally they just shut down her entire restaurant on Rue Royale in 1941 for refusing to follow their food purchasing rules. Like every French citizen, she was overjoyed when the war came to an end and the Nazi bastards were gone. To celebrate, she had a huge banquet at her restaurant out in Cole, and in a move straight out of Casablanca, had the band play a rousing chorus of Les Marseillais, which all the guests joined in with, singing with the gusto of the liberated. The year after the war ended, Eugenie turned full control of the Rue Royale location over to her son Gaston and his wife. Their daughter would become involved later as well. And Eugenie focused on her coal location, enjoying being removed from the city more and more as she grew older. But no one, not even her own blood, could run the restaurant as well as she could. And in the early 1960s, the Rue Royale location lost a Michelin star. So Eugenie came back into the kitchen, and the following year, it regained its third star. When she officially retired in 1968, that third star left once again with her. At her retirement, she was 72, and she had been working in a kitchen for over 50 years. She was offered the Légion d'Honneur, the highest honor France has to offer, and she turned it down, saying it should be given out for doing more important things than cooking well and doing the job you're supposed to do. Now, that is humility and competence at a whole other level right there. Eugenie passed away at the age of 81. 
Her beloved rural restaurant out in Coal closed, and the Rue Royale location stayed open under Gaston's daughter Jacotte until 2004. In 2008, the restaurant was bought by Michelin star chef Matthew Vignet. He kept the name La Mère Brasier, he brought back the original 1930s decor, and he put Eugenie's signature dishes back on the menu. Today, it is still open, and it holds two Michelin stars. Aside from her cookbook, Le Secret de la Mère Brasier, the English edition is called La Mère Brasier, the mother of modern French cooking, Eugenie's legacy is kept alive by many. Her contemporary Maurice Edmond Saliand, pen name Kurnonsky, a.k.a. the Prince of Gastronomy, was the most influential food writer in all of France at the time, and he dubbed her the greatest cuisinier in the world. Food writer Jennifer Smith says it's not going too far to say that her cuisine was the start of modern French gastronomy. Even Paul Bocuse said that she was a pillar of global gastronomy. Eugenie's granddaughter, Jacotte, founded the Association of Friends of Eugenie Brasier, which helps to sponsor young women that want to become chefs. In 2019, a documentary called The Heat, A Kitchen Revolution by Maya Galouz honored Eugenie as the genesis of modern female chefs. If you ever find yourself in Lyon, and I really hope you do one day, the city's incredible, visit La Mère Brasier and enjoy a legacy. My sources today were Wikipedia and Eater. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Eugenie Brasier. Please join me on June 28th when we talk about pioneering fashion designer Zelda Wynne Valdez. See you then.